If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, these words will be printed in the bulletin for you, and they'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, We're going to continue this Easter morning on our series in the Gospel of John. It's called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And we're looking at who this Jesus is according to his words, how he describes himself. And in God's beautiful timing, as we look at the I am's this morning, we are on I am the resurrection and life. That's pretty good timing, is it not? So uh, what a great opportunity for us to be reminded that life reigns in Christ Jesus. It is said that seeing is believing. But sometimes, even when you see what you thought was the unbelievable, it's still sometimes hard to believe, is it not? I mean, how many times have you seen something or experienced something and said, did we just see that? Did that just happen? I mean, there's, there's no way. I mean, maybe it was an event in your life. Uh, uh, maybe it was a miracle that you witnessed in your life. Uh, Again, many of us have, even with our own eyes, sometimes seen something says, I, I still am having a hard time believing. Well, this morning we're going to look at Jesus's greatest miracle while he walked the earth. Now, this isn't the miracle of his own resurrection. I mean, that's the, the greatest event of all. This is that Jesus would call out of the grave a friend of his who had been in there for four days. He'd been in there for four days, and he was going to call his friend by name Lazarus, come out of that, that tomb, uh, and raise him to life. And I'm going to tell you, because of that reality, what would you do? I mean, place yourself there. I mean, all of a sudden, with all the wailing, all the mourning, all, all that happens around a death and a funeral, all of a sudden you see someone who was dead alive. Would you believe? I mean, how would you not, Right? And many believed. They said, then it was like, oh my goodness, this Jesus guy's for real. I mean, this, this is power like we've never seen. They've seen some other cool things like healing a man who was blind from, uh, from birth. They've seen some incredible things done with bread and fish that feeds 5,000. But this, they hadn't seen anything. No one has seen anything like this. Of all of Jesus's miracles, this was the greatest one. And would you believe that there were still people there who didn't believe. They said, no, this, this just can't, this can't be. It was during this moment that Jesus will say these words. He says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this question. It's, it's really the bedrock question that Jesus asked, not just the crowd that day, but he asked you this morning. Do you believe this? I mean, it's the crux of, of, of really Christianity. Do you believe this? Even when his opponents couldn't refute the miracle, and there were several miracles that they couldn't refute. I mean, blind men were seen, right? I mean, I mean, people have been fed miraculously, and now there's a dead man who's been made alive. They couldn't refute it. But they still didn't believe his claims. They still didn't believe that he came really from the Father, that he was the true Messiah. You know what they said about him? man, this is black magic. This is some really good black magic. But this is black magic. I mean, he's, he's demon-possessed. Or, or this comes from a power, not from God. Well, who do you say Jesus is? 
Again, that's the question. We're looking at this I am. He'll go, I am the resurrection and life. Jesus in his own words. There's a lot of confusion in Jesus' day of who he is. There's a lot of confusion in our day who he is. But let me ask you this. Who do you say Jesus is? Let me give you a little context to John chapter 11 to help the story uh, find some color and some shape so you can understand it. Again, this is not the resurrection Easter story. So if you're here and you, and you hear a story of resurrection, this is a little different. Uh, this is this, the resurrection of Lazarus uh, to life. But let me tell you about this Lazarus. He's described this way. I would love to be described this way. And I believe I am by God's grace. Lazarus was one that Jesus loved. Isn't that a cool title? He had two sisters. He had a sister named Mary and a sister named Martha. They were devout followers of Christ. Uh, one seemed to sit more at his feet and one seemed to work more for him. But Jesus gets a 911 call about Lazarus. He's out of town and he gets this urgent request that, hey, the one that you love, Lazarus, he's really, really sick. And basically we're saying, Jesus, we've seen you do some really amazing stuff. Get on over here. Get over here as quick as you can. Lickety split because Lazarus needs you and heal him. But Jesus does something peculiar. He doesn't go. He waits. He waits a couple of days. How many of us have prayed for something that immediately happens? And sometimes you wonder, what are you doing? Uh, why, why are you delaying? But Jesus realized there was something bigger going on. And so, so he waited. And so when he finally shows up, well, it's seemingly too late. I mean, when he finally shows up, Lazarus dead. As a matter of fact, he's not only dead, he's, he's been in the tomb for like four days. And not only that, he's probably decaying. And Martha and Mary start playing the if-only games. You know the if-only game? If only you had been here. If only you had done this. If only that had happened. If only, how, how many of us live our lives with the if-only game, Right? I mean, you're looking at your circumstances in life and you're trying to figure them out and you, all you can say to guys, well, if only, if only, if only. In the midst of the if only game, he says, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I am the resurrection in life. And you're about to see stuff that has never been done. Well, let me give, that's the context of the story. Let me give you the context of scripture. Jesus is going to say, I'm the resurrection. Now, we live on this side of the cross. We live in, this resurrection idea has been around for thousands of years. I mean, we've celebrated Easter for thousands of years. But a resurrection hasn't happened before Jesus' day, right? And so yet there was still an idea in Scripture. Like the prophet Daniel in Daniel 12, verses 3 and 4, he told us that a day would come, a resurrection day, some to everlasting life and scary some to everlasting damnation. So that there was the religious people knew of this resurrection. And they knew that there was some kind of hope. But you know what it was? The resurrection was like this cold doctrine. You know those things that church people talk about? Doctrine that's kind of cold and, and distant. It doesn't really mean anything to his life, or their lives. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that there's going to be a resurrection. But you know what? I'm really hurting. How many times have you done that? How many times have you said, you know, I, well, I know that this is what the Bible says. Or I know that this might be a reality. But man, I'm still just in pain. You see, a religion that is just distant and cold is useless, is it not? A religion that's distant and future is just, it's cold, it's, it's useless. And so, so Jesus, at this moment, when there were kind of this understanding of resurrection, he blows 
away their minds. He said, this resurrection isn't just a distant event. And this, this hope is a current reality. He says this, I'm it. It's more than just something you heard. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. If anyone wants to have life and life abundantly, you, you find it in me. That's absolutely incredible that he says he's going to personify resurrection. He's going to personify uh, that he is life. Now, let me give you one more context for this. In the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible is very interestingly because it will say to us that there is one man in his sin, the, the first man, Adam, that caused everything to be broken. Because of one man's rebellion, and this man, according to Scripture, he represented us. And because of that, we live in a fallen world. Because of that, we live with death all around us. We live with sin and brokenness, and we see it every stinking day, do we not? Scripture says in Romans 5, because of the transgressions of one man, death reigns over all. But it also says some good news. It says because of the life of one man, because of Jesus who came and he lived this life that we all failed to live, and he died in atoning death, that, that through this one man, ready for this, death no longer reigns, but life reigns. That Jesus is the one Uh, to give us life and life abundantly. He personally is a resurrection. He personally is life. If you don't have him, you don't have life. All right, well, that background, let's get to the gospel of John. We're going to look at John 11. And as you see in your bulletin, we got a story here to be read. And it's an incredible story. It's a little bit long. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you help me? Would you lean in? Uh, Would you lean in as I read? And may the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear. Uh, Again, you, you think of, Well, should we shorten this? I'm telling you, this is such a great story. You don't want to miss a word of what God has to say to us. We're going to read John 11, 1 through 44. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? If you remember the story of the healing of the blind man, and they, they picked up stones to stone him because Jesus claimed to be God. Verse nine, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Another confusing Jesus statement saying, we got time, it's okay. After seeing these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciple said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's gonna recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's hit pause. What do you know about Thomas? What's his, what's his name? How does everybody remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Look at him up. He manned up. He bowed up. I'm mean, here you have him saying, basically, hey, he's, he, you know, let's go and die with him, man. I'm, I'm with you. And maybe it's kind of like Peter saying, I'm with you to the end. He's not really. But again, I love the fact that Thomas gets a little shout out here of uh, being manning up. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Let's hit pause. Here, here's this exchange, right? I know that there's a doctrine. It's far off. It means nothing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to rise again from the day. Someday there's going to be hope, but it's not today. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, here we go again, here's the only if, if only, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he says, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in scripture. If you want to leave your Easter service and call your mom, tell you learn a little scripture, you memorized that on Easter Sunday. There you have it. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But th- some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. He says, God, thank you for hearing me. It's interesting what some commentators say that 
when the stone was rolled away and there wasn't the smell of death, he said, God, yep, I knew you'd do this. Thank you. When he had said these things, he cried out. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we see your son has the power over death. That's incredible. We have just read and and seen with our mind's eye the greatest earthly miracle that he would perform. And God, even the greater miracle that he would die for us and he himself would be resurrected to give us life and life abundantly. And God, would you give every single one of us the ability to see the truth this morning, the ability to see Jesus rightly. And God, the question is ringing in our ears from this text. It rings throughout time. Who is this Jesus? Do you believe this? God, I pray for those who don't believe. I pray that this morning you would allow them the eyes to see and the hearts to embrace, the minds to understand. And God, for those of us who do believe that we would live like children of yours who have truly been set free. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. The first thing we want to look at this morning is that Jesus weeps over death. Jesus weeps over death. And and this is both comforting and confusing, quite frankly. It is comforting and confusing. It's comforting that Jesus, God in the flesh, is pain with our pain. It's comforting to know that every time that you've experienced the death of a loved one, every time you know the pain and the loss of this broken world, that God does too. It's awesome to know that Jesus is a is what Scripture says, a high priest who sympathizes with us, who, who knows our weakness and loves us. Isn't it great to know of a, of a Savior who's tender and, and merciful? So he weeps. I mean, it's incredible, but it's also confusing. Because why? He, he knows the ending. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that it's just, just in a matter of moments that he's going to be calling out to Lazarus. Just in a matter of moments, he's going to be up. Lazarus is going to be breathing and high-fiving and celebrating. So it's kind of confusing. Why in the world weep? Why weep when you know the ending? Well, the scripture helps us. It says he wept because why? He loved Lazarus. Isn't it nice to know that that God loves sinners? Isn't it nice to know that, that God loves those who are broken? They saw his tears and they said, see how he loved him. Think of the own funerals you've been to. I mean, who are the people who are really weeping? Who are the people who are really sobbing? If you're there at a funeral and you don't know that person very well and you're just kind of going out of cur- uh, uh, courtesy, you're probably not shedding a lot of tears. It may be a sad moment. But for those who loved... For those who lost, it's horrific. 
And so these tears communicated something. They communicated that he loved them. But I believe he did more than weep for Lazarus. I believe he just wept over death. Because death is not what it was supposed to be. I mean, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the creator himself. He created this world for life to reign, for beauty to reign. And he looked at the world and everything was broken. And everything was just sad. Haven't you been there? Haven't you just wanted to weep over the circumstances of life sometimes? Here's the reality of Jesus. He weeps because he knows that death is painful. And he knows that it's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, the amazing thing about us, those who are Christians, we know that Jesus not only weeps over death, communicating love, he sheds his blood over death. How much does Jesus love us? Well, he does more than just weep. He bleeds. He bleeds. He sheds his blood so that our sins could be covered. They could be paid so that we could be his. Oh, how Jesus loves sinners like you and me that he weeps over us. He bleeds over us. That is such good news. But he said, listen, this is not how it's supposed to be. But death is not how it's going to be. That's what he's saying. He's saying, life will reign. First thing we see is Jesus weeps over death. But he does more than that. Jesus cries victory over death. When it says that he cried out, cried out right there when he's calling Lazarus come out. It's really interesting. The word cried out is, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of like an animal growl. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe. Let me try to describe it this way. So he's looking at death and he's going he's gonna to cry out. He's going to growl over it. Any Gator fans here? I mean, this is kind of like the Gator chomp, baby. This is like, hey, man, death, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chomp you up. I mean, Seminole fans, this is, the, this is the tomahawk chop. I mean, this is like death, man. You're going down. You're going down. Uh, for those of you who are Alabama tied, this is roll tide, baby. Roll Tide, War Eagle for all you Auburn fans, right? I mean, this is a, this is a cry. For those of you who are UCF, what do you say? <laughs> I got a coach here from Rollins College. They're the Tars. What would we say? Tar them. <laughs> it's really interesting. that He's going to be moved to deep emotion, and he's going to cry out. And what he's going to cry is, victory. And you know, the cool thing about this is the fact that, you know, Jesus cries out victory over death. You know, you could cry out a victory that's not really a victory. You see, he did more than just cry out a victory. Jesus goes toe to toe with death. I mean, he goes toe to toe like, like the great champions in the ring. I mean, Jesus, according to the Bible, he's, he's going to not only go toe to toe with death, He's going to taste death so that we could taste life. He's going to experience death so we can experience everlasting life. He's going to seemingly be defeated, but he's going to, out of the jaws of defeat, he is going to proclaim victory. That life reigns. You see, the resurrection is the proclamation. It's the proclamation that life reigns. But there's more. Why did death reign? It's because of sin. According to the Bible, everything that is broken, everything that dies is the fruit, is the result of our rebellion and sin from God. So Jesus coming and making that sacrifice, his proclamation is that sin's been defeated. That the separation between holy God and sinful man has been bridged. 
And now sinners like us have been brought in and we've been loved. Jesus cries out victory over death. Thirdly, Jesus commands us to be free. Not only does he shout out a victory, he then starts commanding. And here's what he says, unbind him and let him go. I mean, obviously Lazarus is not going to walk around with his grave clothes on. It's like somebody being released from jail saying, you know what? I really like these. These are, they're comfortable. I've been wearing them for years. You know, uh, the first thing you want to do is get rid of your jail garb, right? I mean, get rid of those things that bind you, those things that remind you of what you're not. And Jesus commands them, basically, take away those grave clothes. Here's what he's saying. Everything, everything that binds you, everything that keeps you from freedom, everything that keeps you from life, everything that keeps you from a relationship with a loving, holy God, everything that shackles you, everything that seems to define you apart from who God is, Everything that robs your life, everything that just makes you sorry and hurt, he says, unwrap them. Unwrap them. Take them off. Take off those grave clothes and be free. They smell like death and you smell like life. Be free. Be pardoned. This is the good news of Christ. You know, the incredible story of the gospel is not only does he unbind us from everything that shackles us, he clothes us, he, he empowers us. He empowers us with his very own righteousness. He empowers us with his very own life so that we can not only be free, but we can be fruitful. So we not only can be free, but we can be abundant, have life and life abundantly. Just think of the story of the prodigal son. If you know the story, it's in Luke 15. And it's a great picture of the father who longs for the return for those who have wandered away. And as he looks out and he sees his son coming from a distant country, the one who has squandered the family wealth on, on crazy, wild living prostitutes and a lot of bad things. And the son who's finally seen the light is turned toward home and he's coming home and he realizes he's got in his back pocket that speech he's got to give to his dad. You know that speech when you got to humble yourself and kind of lower yourself and the speech includes him saying, listen, dad, I've so messed up. I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even worthy of being called a son. Why don't you just put me in slave status? Just put me in a, a, someplace in your, your homestead here and I don't ever have to eat at your table and I don't even have to have your name and why don't you just somehow provide for me? He had that in his back pocket, but he never got to it because Jesus ran out to him. The father in the story runs out to him instead. And he kisses him. And before he can say, I'm sorry, Jesus is like, or the father, put, put a robe on my son. This one's mine. Make sure his identity is really clear. Put a ring, the family ring on his finger. I want the world to know this one is mine. He was lost, but he's now found. He was dead, but he's now made alive. You see, that's what God is like. We often think of God being a, a mean, angry God. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who loves to run to sinners who are broken. He loves to take those who are lost and find them. And everything that keeps us from living, he says, take those things off. Take those grave clothes off. Take that sin and that filth and that junk and place it on my son on the cross. 
so that we could wear the robe of God's righteousness. That's, that's the gospel. Because God so loved us that he would become our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Why? So God could command us to be free. It's interesting. It says that uh, many believed because they saw Lazarus. Hello. <laughs> you think? I mean, some didn't. But many believed. Why? Because, listen to this, Lazarus was living proof that Jesus had power over death. Lazarus was living proof that Jesus was the resurrection in life. And others saw him and they said, yeah, yeah, I get it. Man, this is, this is amazing. Christian, you know what you are? You're living proof. I mean, you're living proof that Jesus has power over death and the grave. You're living proof that life reigns. You're living proof. The scripture says that we are the aroma of Christ. To some, it's the smell of life. And to some, it's the smell of death. And we can't determine how they smell us. We just smell like Jesus. And guess what? It smells like victory. And may the world see us and believe. You see, the final collusion of this is, do you believe this? I mean, is this a story that entertains you or is this a story that transforms you? Is this a historic event that happened way back when that has kind of cold and distance but no power? That's the key question in the narrative. It's really interesting. In the original Greek here, the belief is as strong as anything. I mean, what's really what John is saying over and over again is, look what happened. Do you believe it? Look what happened. Do you believe it? This is an event that changed the world. It, it did. It changed the world. I mean, it changes our calendar. It changes everything about the world. But the question is, has it changed your world? Has this event changed your life? Seeing is believing. But you only can see and believe when you see rightly. Seeing yourself rightly in this picture. And seeing Jesus rightly in the picture. Did you see yourself in this picture? Who are you? Who are you in this story? You get it when you realize you're Lazarus. You get it when you realize that you, apart from God, are dead in your, your sins. Without hope, except in Jesus' resurrection power. Without hope, and then, except that God will call you by name and says, come out. Come and, and live. You see, you get it. You believe. When you realize, like Lazarus, you have been unbound by sin and misery, and you have been robed in righteousness, then we are able to believe rightly. When we see ourselves rightly, when we see Jesus rightly, that he personally is the resurrection. He is the, the fulcrum of history. He is the center point, the, the turning piece of everything. That life is personally in him. It's interesting, 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I mean, that's just incredibly black and white. Do you have the son or not? With him, life without him death, with him hope, without him hopeless, within him light, 
Without him, darkness. That's the Easter story. The incredible story of a God who weeps over death. A God who proclaims victory over death and cries out. A God who has said, everything that binds you, let them go free. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Father God, we read this story and I got to tell you, it, it, it does push the limits of what is believable. It's incredible to, to be told of men who had died and there were four days in the grave could ever come back to life. It just humanly isn't possible. It doesn't make any scientific sense. But God, I thank you that you're beyond all of that. And I thank you that Jesus has the power even over the grave. And the only way that we could take off our grave clothes or you could command them to be off is that Jesus, you wore them. You wore death so that we could wear life. And now we find ourselves with this question. Do you believe this? God, I pray for those who don't. I'm sure in this room there's many. And maybe they think they believe, or maybe they've been close to the story, but they've never really personalized the story. And the whole story is personalized in Jesus because he is the resurrection. He is the life. So God, for those who have yet to embrace Christ, I pray that you give them the grace and the faith to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And that by confessing their sins and by placing their faith and trust in Jesus, that they too will be brought from death to life. God, I thank you for that reality. May many this morning just simply pray and ask for you to come and provide that life, Christ Jesus. But God, for the many in this room who know the reality that Jesus is Lord and King, know the reality that he has won a victory over death, may we live our lives unbound and free. Like Lazarus, may the world see us and see Jesus. May we not put back on those things that smell of death, but we may we live in life in Christ Jesus. May the light of the world shine brightly on us and through us. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.